Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Folks, I want uh, I want to encourage you today. The future is bright for Tucson Baptist Church if we, as a church, stay strong. Now that brings us to our last two principles, the last message in this series of messages uh, on stay strong. And for that, we go to the book of Esther, chapter number two. We're going to read six verses here. It doesn't really lend toward a responsive reading due to how it is written. So let me just read the story here from the book of Esther as we examine a female Bible character and learn uh, our, our next principle, principle number 11. We'll pick up in verse 17 of Esther, chapter number two. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast unto all of his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast, and he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people, as Mordecai had charged her or instructed her. For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those uh, which kept the door, were wroth. And they sought to lay hands on the, on the king Azarus. And the thing was made known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof and Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree. And it was written in the book of Chronicles before the king. Father, in the quietness of the moment, may you allow your Holy Spirit freedom to convict, correct, encourage, to call. Father, may we be willing to pay attention to the preaching of God's word. Thank you for the beautiful service to this point, but Father, may all of that have been merely preparatory toward the preaching of God's word. So Father, I pray that you will speak to each one of us in Jesus' name, amen. Stay strong, principle number 11 is this, and this is gonna hit most of us because we often struggle with this. You can only store bitterness or gratefulness. You can only store bitterness or gratefulness. We are told here in verse number 20 that we read that Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had instructed her to do so. And we have a we have a story here about Esther. What can we learn from Esther? Well, the first thing we can see in Esther's life is that bitterness is a losing strategy. Bitterness is a losing strategy. The characteristic of Esther that we most often associate with her is her great bravery. For she risked her life. Uh, that She broke all societal customs when she entered into the king's court to save her people. However, there's a backstory. In the early years of Esther's life, uh, that will really help us to understand what and how she was able to do this as an adult. You see, both of Esther's parents died very early in her life. 
And so she came to live with Mordecai, who reared her as his own daughter. And she had every opportunity in life to be bitter about her situation. But the Bible seems to indicate that she lived a life of obedience that extended into her young adult years. Would you listen? Every one of us have had something happen in our life that can make us bitter. Someone has wronged us. Some cancer has taken from us life. Some accident has caused injury. Some crime has violated us. Every single person could stand up and say, this has happened to me. I lost a child. I lost a spouse. And we could go on and on, and by the time we got all the way around the room, everyone would be crying. But here's what's interesting, is the response when trauma comes. And for some, they get into a downward spiral of bitterness, and they seem to harbor and store bitterness and blame others and blame God, and therefore they ultimately become useless for the kingdom of God. And there are those who have had some horrible things happen in their life, yet when you talk to them, they're grateful. They're grateful for God's grace and mercy that's given them a new day to live. And I'm here to say that the fact of the matter is, is that all of us have come to a crossroads in our life where we had to make the choice. I'm going to be bitter against this world, bitter against God, or I'm going to be grateful to God. Every one of us. The word obey is something that we often associate with children. However, obedience is required for all Christians in all, in all areas of life. We don't like that word obey. We don't like the word rules. So since we don't like the word rules, I'll use the word expectations. That's a good Christian word. God has expectations for us, and they're outlined in his word, and we often chafe under those expectations. Oh, let me give a real-life real, real illustration through this story. It's March Madness. How many of you know what that phrase means? It's March Madness. If you don't know what that means, you're going to find out. March Madness is all about college basketball. And we are in the throes of March. In fact, it just so happens I'm preaching this message and I'm using this illustration on the Sunday when all the teams are going to be revealed in March Madness this afternoon of where they're going to play. And your favorite team, you're going to find out what seed they were, what, what seed that they're given and where they are going to play. And you're going to groan and moan, it's not fair. And then you're going to be excited. It's going to happen throughout our whole congregation. It's March Madness. All eyes are glued. And by the way, as your pastor, let me say congratulations to all of you. You of a Wildcats, your team won last night. You're the Pac-12 champions, and so it's all good, and unless you're a UCLA fan. But anyway, it's all good. You won. Congratulations. I live in a city where there's a lot of Wildcat fans, and you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say March Madness. But follow along my illustration. Do you know that there is a huge rule book for basketball? A huge rule book. 
And, and there are many examples of expectations. Here's the thing. Do you know there's a dress code in basketball? They, the teens will have what they call their road uniform. It's usually dark. And their home uniform, which is usually light or, or, or white uniform. And, um, and so if you're playing on the road, you're not wearing your home uniform or you're not playing. Do you know that the, those referees, they make you keep your shirt untucked. I saw a picture in that video of four guys that had their shirts untucked. We wouldn't be allowed to play basketball. There's rules uh, that you have to stay within the boundary. And if you touch the line, that's called a turnover and the ball's given to the other team. And you say, well, listen, I just touched the line. There was no other players around me. Doesn't matter. The rule book says if you touch the line, that is a turnover. The other team gets the ball. The, the rule book tells you how you can move, when, and how, uh, how, how you play. And, and uh, it tells you something about five seconds if you bounce the ball for five consecutive seconds without making a pass. That's a turnover. What a dumb rule. But it's a rule. The ball, the, the, ball, the referee, the players, everything is subjected to the rules. And do you know in basketball, they say if you commit five fouls, no matter how good you are, you're disqualified from the game and you have to go sit on the bench. How unfair is that? But that's what the rules say. The, do you know that if you argue with the referee, you could get thrown out of the game? That's a rule. You know what happens if we're not careful? We can be so bitter about the expectations and the rules that, that we find in the Bible that we lose focus on the outcome. And I find that happens. We laugh about basketball rules, but there's still guidelines for Christians. There's still expectations from the Word of God. I learned from Esther uh, that bitterness was a losing strategy. There was no sense in her focusing on the fact that both of her parents had, had died and she had to be raised in the home of her uncle. The second thing I see is that humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. The Bible, in the passage of Scripture that we read, introduces to us to a man by the name of Mordecai. And I've always wondered if Mordecai was waiting for a message uh, uh, from the king the next day. And when no message came from the king that day, I'm sure he was waiting the next day. Listen, the Bible says that he saved the king's life, but he received no great recognition for it. Somebody must have forgotten for weeks and for months. However, the Bible says that Mordecai showed no indication of bitterness. And in the end, the Bible says that he was even honored before all men except for the king. Listen to Esther 10 and verse number 3. For Mordecai the Jew, notice it has to put that in there. For Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Azarus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all of his seed. Uh, let me... Take chase a little rabbit tail. There's a humorous part of this story by the by uh, a guy by the name of Haman. How many of you remember this story? There's a guy by the name of Haman. Um, he exemplifies the opposite of Mordecai's humility. The king asked Haman, "What should be done for the man whom the king desires to honor?" 
And Haman, he was so inwardly focused and thought that certainly the king was talking about himself. And, uh, and he said, who then me would the king desire to honor? And Haman discovers that it's actually Mordecai that the king wishes to honor. And the Bible records this. It says that Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. Uh, Haman was embarrassed and almost to the point of ruin. And uh, uh, Mordecai, though, his inn was filled with honor. And, his, and a lot of times we like to focus the attention of ourselves. Mordecai focused the attention on other people, and the results were he was lifted up. Bitterness is a losing strategy. Humility comes before honor. And then I see humility produces a spirit of gratefulness. Humility produces a spirit of gratefulness. Notice with me Esther 9, verse 28. And that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city. And that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Just like the Jews were given a great victory by God, do you know that every day we're given blessings by God? And so often we fail to recognize the amazing blessings that God gives us and uh, we merely take them for granted. Someone said this, I used to be mad that I didn't have any shoes until I met a man who had no feet. A grateful Christian comes to church more earnestly searching for God because it could be his last opportunity. I wonder, are you a grateful Christian? Christian. In your body, in your mind, in your spirit, you can only store one of two things. You may store bitterness or you may store gratefulness. I choose gratefulness. I am so thankful for my Heavenly Father. I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful for our church. I'm so thankful that God has given me breath and life. And I'm so thankful that in spite of some horrible things that have happened during our married life with our children, I'm still thankful to my God. I'm still thankful that even though there's been times where I've been greatly, greatly offended, I stop and realize, do you know what? I've greatly offended other people, and they've shown grace and mercy. So who am I not to show grace and mercy? I'm so thankful that Jesus took upon himself Brent Armstrong's sins and died for Brent Armstrong. How could I be bitter about anything? I ask you, if we were to come into your life, are you bitter or are you grateful? And I want to end on an up note. Stay strong principle number 12. I love this one. And here we go. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ no matter what. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ no matter what. For this last principle, I like to use the Bible character Paul. 
And Paul says in Romans, uh, or we learn about Paul, and we learn about this principle in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good uh, man, some would even dare to die. Love is an incredibly powerful motivator. I've read about the 12 apostles and the disciples and many others who died. Because they were Christian. In fact, most of the disciples, they died horrific deaths of martyrdom. Every single one of them except for one, the Apostle John. Not because they feared Jesus, but because they loved him. The disciples and apostles were willing to die horrific deaths of martyrdom. Not because of a fear, but because of a love for Jesus. John 13, verse 35, simply says this. By this shall all men know, if you are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, do you really love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Well, number one, visible love is contagious. Visible love is contagious. And just like... Many of you keep sharing this dreaded virus that's going around. And you cough and you sneeze and you have a temperature and you shake hands with people and you love to spread your germs. May I just tell you, in the same manner, love is also contagious. Acts chapter 20, we have a passage of Scripture that says this. And when the, he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and he prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Paul, he chose to love his brothers and sisters in Christ. And do you know something great and amazing this morning? God has chosen to love us too. Not because we are lovable, but he still loves us. Throughout Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul gives the reasons why he loved his family in Christ, but he never privately discusses the characteristics of his own family. And I think this is because Paul's choice to love was not based on their goodness. Um, you know that we make a choice to love others. Paul did not demand love. His actions inspired love. And I wonder this morning, do your actions inspire love? Is your love contagious this morning? You could say that Paul's love for his Christian family was contagious. And while it is true that we cannot demand another person to really love us, our actions can inspire love. When I think of many of the people in our church, there's some people that their love is contagious. They love coming to church. They love singing in the choir. They love serving as an usher. They love serving throughout our ministry. I'm thankful for those examples. That love is contagious. That love is attractive. You say, I don't have any friends in this church. There may be. And you may be speaking the truth. But the fact of the matter is, it might be because your love is not the love that somebody else wants. Love, the love of Jesus, is contagious it's attractive it's beautiful and we love to be around attractive beautiful people 
Reminds me, I read, a, I read about a basketball coach, and he was a coach of a prestigious basketball team, one that you would know, and uh, he was talking conversationally with one of his players, and he simply asked this question, are you ready for the season to start? And the player says, yes, I'm looking forward to the season, but what I'm really looking forward is being together with the team. By the way, coaches require the team to, to, uh, to be together and practice, but isn't it so much better when they want to be together? Folks, do you want to be here on Sunday morning? Do you want to be here worshiping with one another? Do you want that contagious love? Visible love is contagious, but secondly, I see love must be expressed. In order for it to be contagious, love must be expressed. Back in Acts chapter 20, looking at the life of the Apostle Paul in his love letter to the Ephesian elders, he does not explicitly say, I love you, but he expresses his feelings and his hopes and his dreams. And, and the Bible says that through expressing all of that, they loved him so much that they wept when Paul was going to have to leave, to leave geographically to go to another part of Asia Minor. The word love appears 57 times in the book of John alone. And the first step of loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is to direct your feelings toward them. Verbally express that you love them and watch that love be returned. Oh, love is contagious and love must be expressed. But as I conclude this morning with number three, I say this, well done is better than well said. Well done is better than well said. Pastor Armstrong, what do you mean by that? Oh, I can say this, I love you. And you say, oh, that's so sweet, Pastor. But do you know what's so much better? is when I show you and I demonstrate that love to you. And our words can ring hollow, but in the moment of crisis, do we show love? In the moment when someone does something and you catch them doing something well, do you show love? Well done is better than well said. In fact, Jesus even said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, follow the rule book. If you love me, when you step out of bounds, that's a foul. There's a consequence. So, if you love me, follow the rule book. Um, I'm just wondering this morning if you understand that one of the greatest characteristics of a church member that has a contagious love that's expressed, that is well done rather than well said, and that is the demonstration of unselfishness. Are we unselfish toward our brothers and sisters in Christ? Oh, we're not going to win every battle but we can win many when we love each other. And there's no division. There's no strife. There's no hard feelings. There's no rock throwing. There's having a laser focused on finding someone doing something right. Encouraging them. And folks, we will have a strong, strong church. And we will stay strong. Let me finish it this way. Do you know that we have six verses that identify us this year as, as our, in, in our ability to stay strong. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. Does that sound familiar? In fact, we couldn't memorize that one in one weeks, uh, in one month, so we're spending two months memorizing this verse. The Word of God says this, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee, he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. 
First Chronicles 28 and verse number 10. Take heed now. In other words, listen. For the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong. And do it. Folks, we got to be strong. We have to keep Tucson Baptist Church strong. 2 Chronicles 15 and verse number 7. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. I want God to rain down blessings, and I mean this before God. And if it happens, I'm okay with it. When we get to heaven, we know that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And, uh, and we know that he is in the process based upon what you do in this life. And if you're visiting with us, works has nothing to do with salvation. Amen? Amen? Nothing. But at the moment I get saved, what I do for Christ has everything to do with my future. And Jesus is now preparing a place. I mean this. I trust that when we get to heaven that your rewards are twice as many, five times as many as me because you've been so faithful being strong in your faith and being an example. I want you to receive the reward that is due you because of your faithfulness in this life. Romans 15 and verse number 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. In a congregation this size, there's many hundreds of people here today. The reality is this, that every one of us are on a different stage of the journey. Do you know we have some that just got saved? If I use the word justification, they're going to scratch their head and say, what in the world are you talking about? And then I, I use the word, uh, uh, if I use the word eschatology, they're going to say, is this a cult? What in the world does eschatology mean? The fact of the matter is there's going to be some who's been saved for many years that understand that eschatology means a study of the end times. And they understand that justification means that that is my standing before God. And that sanctification means that ever-changing process when I become more like Jesus. They're going to understand that. But you know, we have some people that just got saved. And, and just getting saved, they are a newborn babe. And you know what they need to know? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's all they got to know right now. Because we, who are stronger and know a little bit more about the Bible, we're going to put our arm around them, and we're going to help them grow. And you know what? They may go in the parking lot this morning and light up a cigarette and say, wasn't that a great sermon this morning? I really loved it. And you know what? I'm going to say, well, I'm not because I preach the message, but if it's you, you're going to say, yes, it sure was. I learned some things. And you know what? Can we talk this week? And you say, it's probably not the best thing to smoke on the church parking lot. <laughs> and we're going to help some people grow in their, in their faith. And, and the fact of the matter is that's a command. You who are strong, come alongside those who are weak and help them grow. Bear the infirmities of those who are weak. The Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Sixty-five years this year, and we together can make it and stay strong for another 65 years should the Lord tarry if we'll adopt these 12 principles and put them into our life. I promise you, I promise you, on the basis and authority of God's word, you'll have a successful life if you follow these 12 principles. <laughs>